This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media, the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 54 of Good Beer Matters. authentic farmhouse beers are really kind of pushing back against that that homogeneity that you see amongst the broader beer world i didn't even know what it was at the time but you know later discovered you know this is is wild fermentation this is you know the world outside of pure culture brewer's yeast Uh, it's, it's that middle ground between no control and total control Defining farmhouse beers is a bit like trying to explain jazz or comfort food to someone who's never experienced them. It usually requires a conversation because there's no single, simple definition that we can all agree on. We tend to look to Belgium or France to bail us out of this pickle since Lambics, Saisons, and Beers de Garde are the best known examples. In reality, farmhouse beers tend to be drinkable, complex, traditional, and innovative, all at the same time. Historically, they're humble beers brewed for laborers with the ingredients endemic to the region, but with the complexity of flavor befitting the finest restaurants. My next guest gave up corporate America and set out to just make some good beer. He eventually employed the traditions and techniques found in those European countries, but somewhere along the way, he helped to find American farmhouse beers. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 54 of Good Beer Matters with Jeffrey Stuffings of Jester King Brewery. Especially after having uh, visited your brewery a, a little while ago on a uh, wonderfully uh, warm and sunny winter day, it was gorgeous. Um, and of course, the beer uh, just made it that much better. Um, but thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, my pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. Um, so uh, I think most people, especially in the beer biz, know all about Jester King. Um, they know all about uh, Wild American Ales. Um, and there might be a few people who are not uh, totally familiar, but will you give us a little um, kind of introduction of, uh, of your background and and what Jester King actually does? Sure. Um, yeah, as far as my background, um, just a you know uh, amateur uh, brewer, uh, home brewer who made the leap into professional brewing um, in two thousand. Seven, I would say, you know, I started pursuing a uh, professional brewing career and, and starting a, a, a brewery. Uh, got Jester King off the ground uh, with my brother Michael. 
um, in 2010. So we'll turn uh, 10 years old this fall. Um, we are a uh, farmhouse brewery on a working farm in, on the outskirts of Austin, Texas. Uh, we make uh, primarily uh, wild and spontaneously fermented beers. Uh, and then we also uh, have expanded within the last uh, roughly two years to include a restaurant, uh, farm, uh, event center, and, uh, and an inn. Um, so, yeah, we're just kind of this uh, little destination spot on the out- outskirts of town. And so the next question I really want to dive into is uh, I want to get a better understanding of exactly what Farmhouse Ale is. But before you answer that, will you give us um, just a, a better understanding of, will you describe the setting out there at the brewery? I mean, I was out there, it was uh, to, to kind of tee you off a little bit is, I mean, it, it cultivated a bit of an experience. I mean, you had different um, places that you could go and get a drink. It wasn't just one central bar. It uh, The farmland was open for people to wander and explore. Um, of course, there were uh, some, uh, I believe I saw some animals running around. Um, will you describe the setting that you created to launch into what Farmhouse Ale is? Sure, sure. So we're um, on a 170-acre uh, ranch in the Texas Hill Country on the outskirts of, of Austin. Um, it's um, called the Edwards Plateau, so it's kind of gentle, gentle rolling hills uh, out where we're located. Um, we took an old machine shop uh, that we actually, my brother and I found and took apart in the Houston area, uh, drove it to Central Texas and reassembled it, uh, and then installed a, a brewing kit in the old machine shop, so that's uh, where we brew our beer. Um, down the hill from the brewery is this, uh, old chicken coop, um, that is like kind of our main kind of beer hall or dining space for a restaurant. Um, a restaurant, uh, is very simple. It's, uh, three wood-fired ovens that we do, uh, some primarily pizzas and then some, some savory dishes as well. Um, as you mentioned, we have like this little bar set up around, uh, around the property for, for people to go and, um, uh, you know. Uh, order beers as well as wine. We don't make wine, but we have a, a guest wine program. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of look out yonder from the steps of the brewery, you see uh, our small farm, um, which includes uh, a hop yard. Uh, we're about to start uh, year number three of growing hops. So our hopes are starting to get a little higher for uh, for hops now that we're getting over some of the kind of uh, initial phase. And then uh, we have um, some livestock. We have uh, uh, Nigerian dwarf goats, uh, which um, we uh, serve. The primary purposes for them are um, for uh, cultivation and fertilization of our our land. We do uh, rotational grazing of our goats. Um, And then um, we're working towards opening a dairy uh, to do cheeses and uh, creams, lotions, uh, things of that nature. Um, and then we also have um, uh, a small orchard um, where we do, we've planted a lot of kind of unusual uh, or less common trees like, you know, sea buckthorn and uh, gummyberry and, you know, pineapple guava and just stuff that you don't see at the supermarket all the time. And then uh, uh, we have a, um, about a, a three-acre vineyard as, as well with about, about uh, 2,000 vines, and uh, that is also starting year three. So yeah, we're starting to you know get our hopes up a little bit about uh, you know, harvesting grapes for um, for fermenting with beer and then also uh, fermenting wine uh, in the future. 
Um, and then, yeah, there's little, little, little trail systems that, you know, run throughout the, the land. And, um, yeah, like you were saying, if you catch it on a good weather day when it's, you know, beautiful to be outside, um, yeah, it can be, uh, you know, if I may say so, uh, myself, you know, pretty special place to, to, to be around. Well, and I've been to breweries that have a pretty spectacular backyard, but uh, nothing really compared to uh, the setting you guys have out there. And 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 just to be clear, it was quite a drive out of uh, away from like downtown Austin, but it was it's one of those uh, Jester King is one of those places where you just go because you're gonna stay a while. Um, and and I <laughs> and I thought it was uh, I thought it was just genius too that. Uh, I think there were three bars, at least open that day, but um, each of those bars had um, a few of the beers were a little bit different. So it actually kind of made us want to go to the different ones and try the different beers and um, until you can only have so many uh, beer samples and until you're like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> but uh, right, right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but we we did as much due diligence as we could that day. It was it was great. But um, but so you, you've basically created. Um, uh, you know, what appears to be from the outside looking in kind of like a secular abbey type of setup where, yeah. um, you know, it, it, you know, where you're trying to like, just be, are you trying to be self-contained on that farm plot? Uh, yes, at least to a degree. We, we, we are very much, uh, trying to be as self-contained as we can. I mean, we don't grow uh, any grain, so, uh, and nor have plans to grow, uh, and malt our own grain. So, you know, we'll still definitely be dependent on our, you know, surrounding, uh, you know, uh, agricultural system. But, um, but, but yeah, uh, as far as I would say electricity, water, um, to a degree, you know, brewing ingredients, hops, uh, fruits, vegetables, um, yeah, trying to be pretty much, uh, yeah, self, self, self-contained. Yeah. And, and I did see that you're growing hops and I, and I figured you guys were too far South to effectively grow hops. Um, but on the tour, I'm going to give a shout out to Michael. He, he gave a great tour. Um, but I asked him about the hops and he said, you guys were basically experimenting to see what you, what you could come up with and what varieties would work that, that far South. But, uh, tell me, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So we have, um, uh, approximately 500 hop plants in the ground right now. And, um, uh, a couple of them are just starting to come up. Um, so we're very curious to see what, you know, what year three looks like. Um, you know, year one was pretty much non-existent. Year two was pretty much the same. So, um, you know, as the rootstock develops and the plants kind of become more hardy, we're cautiously optimistic that we might see some, uh, some better growth in, in year three and, and maybe actually some, some of our first uh, hop harvest. Um, we've done a mix of different varietals. Um, some Ones that are, you know, kind of classic uh, hops in the brewing world, like your Cascade and your Goldings and uh, Saws. And then um, we've also planted um, Neo-Mexicana, uh, which is native to Texas and New Mexico, um, which we're very curious how to see how that does in central Texas. Um, it does well in west Texas, uh, where it's a higher elevation than us, but, you know, still very, very dry and, and, and arid. And, um, you know, we have a little bit more humidity here, a little bit more rain, but it's still not a lot. Um, and so, yeah, seeing how it, it produces is, is very curious to us. I think the one thing that may work in our favor is, and, you know, you mentioned a moment ago, which I'll speak to, you know, kind of what is a farmhouse ale? And, you know, with our hops, you know, we're not trying to pursue a classic style. 
So if the hops have a certain character that's unique to our setting and it produces a certain flavor profile and aroma profile in a beer, then we'll you know gladly em- em- embrace that because um, we're not again not trying to just uh, you know achieve a, you know classic style. So um, you know whatever they smell and taste like, so long as they're vi- viable as you know, for brewing, we'll we'll go with them. Well, and and let's launch in from that right into. Uh, yeah, I've heard many different definitions of farmhouse ales that are very specific, and most of them are very very broad. Um, yeah. But and and for a very good reason. Um, um, you know, farmhouse ales by their nature just kind of rely on terroir. That you know, kind of like uh, like uh, wineries do. But to you, what what is a farmhouse farmhouse ale in your mind? Well, yes, I would say, you know, very much in line with what you, you just mentioned, you know, beers that have that, that, that sense of place or, or, or terroir. You know, we um, our little motto at, at Jester King is, uh, you know, time, place, people. Uh, you know, beers that are either unique in terms of their sensory experience to those those three major variables, you know, their place, their time, and, and the people who create them. So, you know, we, we of course, live in a both a food and beer world where, on a macro level, you know, we're highly commoditized. Um, you know, I don't know the exact percentage of beer that's, you know, uh, light lager from industrial uh, multinational breweries. Um, but, you know, I, by volume, I, you know, it's, it's, I should know this off the top of my head, but, you know, it's just somewhere like 80 to 90%. Um, so, yeah, by and large, you know, beer is extraordinarily uniform uh, in the United States and around the world. And where craft brewers, um, and then, to I think a, a greater, even greater degree, uh, craft brewers producing you know authentic farmhouse beers are really kind of pushing back against that that homogeneity that you see amongst the broader beer world, um, embracing your natural surroundings. So when it comes to place, you know, uh, using water from a well, uh, malt from uh, that was grown in the soil of your surrounding area, and then malted. Uh, locally from a, you know, small independent maltster. Um, and then, you know, we're open about our limitations. I would say, you know, using hops that are grown in your region, I would say, you know, hops uh, have just as much to do with terroir as, as any other uh, ingredient. Um, so that's an area where we actually uh, fail, at least for the time being, is that, you know, our hops come from, um, you know, over a thousand miles away. Um, and then, um Perhaps most importantly, at least for us, is how you go about fermentation. Um, you know, the winemakers uh, take loose winemakers pursuing in a very you know simple or you know low intervention approaches uh, really take great advantage of microbial terroir, um, which is something we've really tried to embrace. Where it's a lot of fun, I, I find, uh, to you know, have the same wort recipe, but then to see what nature does with that wort during fermentation, whether that's, you know, truly spontaneously fermented or at least um, mixed culture fermented uh, with, you know, uh, a mix, in our case, of uh, strains of uh, Saccharomyces uh, that uh, were lab cultivated, but then mixed with uh, cultures that we've propped up off of uh, plants and wildflowers and um, cool ship inoculations uh, here in the Hill Country. Um, So... um, yeah, I would say just the, the uh, to me, uh, you know, farmhouse sale in terms of authenticity is, is a sliding scale, and you know we've tried to kind of progress along that sliding scale over over time, 
Uh, for us, yeah, again, the, the kind of main attributes would be um, a local water source, uh, native yeast, um, grain that's unique to Central Texas and West Texas, and then produce that's grown within a you know 30 to 60-minute drive radius. Um, when you combine all those things together, um, you get, I think, individuality and unique character in beer, that, 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 again, that sense of place, that, that terroir. And then you also get um, you know, time variations because you know, the aquifer changes, the, hop, you know, the, the, the harvest of hops and vegetables and fruits is going to change from year to year, as well as grains. Um, and then the final piece for us would be you know, the human element when you know, you're not trying to necessarily brew to you know, a certain technical specification, but rather uh, you know, brewing to you know, the individual brewer and blender's uh, palate um, is when I think you kind of get the, 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 full, the full puzzle uh, complete um, of just uniqueness due to place, time, as well as people. And that, that applies not just to the, the brewer, but also, you know, the maltster, you know, working with a local maltster as well, as well, where, you know, whatever, you know, we work with Blacklands Malt out of Leander, north of Austin, and, you know, just as we're brewing and blending to, 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 to taste, uh, in many ways, you know, our local maltster is kind of doing the same thing as well with his, his own preferences. So um, just the less you get away from just kind of like trying to produce exactly the same thing over and over, which is, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But um, you know, what we do is kind of embrace it, embrace natural variation. Uh, I know I'm being a little long winded here, but you know, the, the a music professor who visited us uh, compared um, wild fermentation and, and, and farmhouse ale to uh, an artist uh, named John Cage who, you know, was kind of in the middle between, like, the intentional and the avant-garde. Like, uh, John Cage wouldn't uh, try to, you know, replicate music perfectly over and over, nor would he just have the total absence of rules and, and, and controls, but he would essentially play music on various instruments and record on, on uh, you know, tape that would, uh, as time would progress, you know, would, would warp and change and kind of have natural variation. So, you know, again, I kind of think we're in this middle ground where we're trying to achieve uh, natural variation by having a, a, a partnership with our, our surroundings rather than trying to just totally bend nature to our will. Well, and, and I love using music as an analogy for beer. It, it just rings true uh, every time I try and use it. But, um, you know, I always think about... Uh, you know, I got to spend some time with uh, um, the folks up at uh, Cascade Brewing who kind of uh, cornered the uh, Pacific Northwest Sour as a style. And the conversation we had is, you know, to try and reproduce the same beer in, in perfect exactitude to make it the same, make it consistent, would be uh, akin to creating a studio album where everything had to be perfect um all the 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 uh, tuning was corrected and editing was just perfect and everything is just clean and then you send it out and you send the exact same recording out to um everybody all, all around the world but the type of beer that you're creating is much like getting that uh live recording where there are imperfections there is some some dude screaming just a, a few people over that kind of messes the recording up but you feel that energy you feel that interaction with the crowd and it and it just it's a completely different experience um in, in a much better way in my my humble opinion <laughs> well that's um i i like that analogy uh 
quite a bit as well. And, you know, personally, um, and then, you know, I, I absolutely enjoy beers that, that are very technically precise and repeatable. With that said, like, you know, we're a, a country where I think at its best in terms of, you know, culture and, and, and food and drink uh, is, is offering uh, uniqueness. I mean, you go to the supermarket, you know, at least like your mainstream ones, and it's pretty much a carbon copy for the most part from, you know, city to city, state to state. And so it's fun to kind of go beyond those kind of mainstream bounds and seek out things that do have authentic character that's unique to, to, to time and place and people. Um, so I'm, I'm there with you. I mean, to me, that's the, uh, as far as, you know, again, kind of uh, food and drinking culture goes, I mean, that's, that's, that's what, that's what breathes life into it. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you and, and try to support that as much as I can, both uh, with my own brewery and then other people's breweries as well. And so as far as far as like farmhouse goes and the experience you're trying to create, you, I heard you mention that you're not trying to recreate classic styles. You're not you're not trying to create that uh, that Texas version of a Belgian uh, lambic or something like that. But but that does beg the question, though, what influences you in, in, in the choices you make with the beers you make? Um, I, you when you guys got started. Uh, IPAs were king these days. Uh, hazy IPAs are king, um, but you guys went the exact opposite direction. Talk about that. Uh, a bit. Y- yes. Um, so you know, looking at the, you know, well, I, I, it really kind of goes back to my my homebrewing days when, um, you know, uh, you know, around starting homebrewing around two thousand three ish. You know, I, uh, you know, like I think most homebrewers start out making, you know, pale ales and IPAs and porters and, you know, kind of classic English and American styles. And, um, you know, once I'd kind of gotten a decent grasp of, of those styles on a five-gallon homebrew level, um, uh, I was I was living in uh, Chicago at, at, at the time and had a friend who was in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and uh, he sent me a bottle of uh, two bottles of, of Jolly Pumpkin. Uh, it was their Bora de Calabaza and their uh, La Roja. And, um, you know, I opened those and, and tried those for the first time and just remember having this really big eye opening experience. Like, like this, what is this beer? Like, this is unlike anything I've ever tasted before and really becoming uh, infatuated with. Um, I didn't even know what it was at the time, but, you know, later discovered, you know, this, well, this is wild fermentation. This is, you know, the world outside of pure culture brewer's yeast. And um, at that point, really on a homebrew level, shifted my focus towards wild fermentation uh, and it became a passion. And then eventually when, you know, deciding to want to go pro as a brewer, um Jolly Pumpkin continued to be a huge inspiration, and then Wild Fermentation, a huge inspiration. Where um, you know I uh, wanted that to be our, our our main focus. Cool. Um, so, is that to say that you don't make any IPAs or lagers or anything like that? Well, you know, uh, we actually uh, have started to do some pure culture fermentation. We, in addition to Wild Fermentation, we started out um, in 2010 doing both. Uh, we made a mild and a rye IPA and a English Imperial Stout. And um, um, around 2012, uh, decided to just solely pursue mixed culture and wild fermentation. And 
You know, I would say, you know, as, as time has gone by and we've seen a little bit of waning of the, the category, uh, you know, to be totally transparent, that, uh, and we've also gone from, our business model has also evolved with time where, you know, I, I would say, you know, for a good chunk of time, uh, most of our business was kind of sending little bits of beer to a lot of places and having these little niche markets of, uh, well, you know, wild ale drinkers. And nowadays, um, we find that, uh, we're, that that is not as much of our business, but just locals coming out. I mean, obviously not now. I mean, you know, uh, we're speaking during the, the COVID-19 crisis, but, but, but under normal circumstances, um, you know, our, our business is more just like local people within a 10-mile radius coming out with their, their families to just kind of enjoy our space. And so... Um, we've tried to be a little bit more diverse in, in what we brew, um, you know, still keeping our philosophy in place of well water and local grains and you know fruits and vegetables that we either grow ourselves or source for local farmers, and then and of course hops we're working on. Um, but uh, you know, as, as it stands right now, we 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 have um, you know a, a pale we just simply call it our unfiltered filter. We have a pale lager uh, that. Uh, you know, is available uh, would be ordinarily on draft, but right now we're having to package everything. Sure. So, uh, uh, yeah. So we've uh, we we have uh, ventured back into pure culture fermentation. Some. Well, and and so speaking specifically to those type of beers, um, uh, especially for those who uh, have maybe just tasted a couple or have not tasted very many, but um, I think if there's a, an initial impression that mixed fermentation beers. Um, you know, have a tendency to uh, smell and taste like a sweaty goat taste, uh, covered in old leather, um, <laughs> and uh, it, it's funky, it's intense, uh, it's it's kind of more for an advanced palate. Um, it's like those uh, people who uh, love very extremely peaty scotch. Uh, it, it takes an acquired taste among the acquired tastes. But some of the beers that I've had from you, uh, from Jester King, I should say, um, and especially that I had that day when I visited, they were very light. They were very fruity. They were complex but easy drinking. Um, and, in fact, there's one bottle that I ended up bringing home, and I... Uh, uh, oh, it was called Snorkel. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and that beer um, kind of blew me away because I was expecting something totally different. Um, I think you... Uh, you you might have to refresh my memory, but I think you used uh, uh, champignon uh, mushrooms and uh, some other uh, kind of farm ingredients in there. But it really came across as just the soft, velvety, uh, kind of like a sweet, fruity, easy drinking beer that was the complete opposite of what I expected. Um, uh, in fact, I just got a taste because I was like, I, I, need, I need to know what this tastes like. But it was so good, I ended up taking a bottle home with me. Um, can you, can you talk to what people can expect when they taste different types of beers that you create? Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, you, you hit on, um, exactly what we're trying to pursue, which is really drinkability. I mean, I know that's a, you know, term that big brewers use, like there's literally a Bud Light ad that said like the difference is drinkability, <laughs> but, um, but I think there's, there's some a kernel of truth there that I, I, and this is kind of, you know, beaten to my head, um, as I kind of, uh, you know, got more and more into homebrewing and um, was a homebrewer I really followed closely, uh, Jamil Zanishev out in California, who now is a professional brewer at, at Heretic. And, you know, he'd always say, like, if it's a 3% mild or a 12% barley wine, it's still got to be drinkable. 
meaning that, you know, you have one glass, you're excited to drink another. And I feel that's very true in the world of wild and spontaneous and farmhouse uh, fermentation because, um, I mean, yes, there is absolutely sourness or acidity, especially in our, our barrel-aged beers, um, but it still should be soft and drinkable. Um, you know, we, uh, going back to John Cage, you know, it's not, uh, it's, it's that middle ground between no control and total control. Like we control for, for, for temperature uh, in our barrel room um, to try to keep down some of the harsher acids like acetic acid, um, you know, which is you know, vinegary. So um, it should be like soft and quenching acidity. And through blending, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, when you taste our beer on blending day, it's pretty mellow. Like we take barrels that aren't that acidic uh, and blend those because we know as the beer matures in bottle, you're going to see a little bit more of an acid profile become more, more prominent. Um, and so um, to that end, similarly with funk, like funk, I think is a beautiful element, uh, but to our palates as, as brewers and blenders, we kind of want that a little bit more in the background. Like, you know, I, I, I will absolutely, you know, greatly enjoy like a beer that's just like a huge, like Brett, like funky, you know, barnyardy note that you were talking about. But um, personally, I, I like a little bit more like stone fruit character, a little spice, a little citrus character. And so when we blend or, or add adjunct ingredients, we try to create, you know, beers that are very complex and, and, and interesting. And if you really want to geek out on them, you, you can totally do that. Uh, otherwise, you know, they're to someone who's you know not familiar with the style and maybe it's just, you know, kind of macro lager drinker that they're still going to be able to finish the glass and, and, and you know, derive enjoyment out of that because, well, you know, after all, you know, beer first and foremost, I think is a, a social beverage. I think that's its greatest redeeming quality and I shouldn't say redeeming, but it's, it's greatest quality. Um, so yeah, balance and drinkability, I think are, are absolutely paramount, uh, not just for, you know, pilsners and pale ales, but also, uh, saisons and farmhouse ales. But that's not to say that you are intentionally dumbing down your complex beers. I mean, for me, uh, the beer I drink while I'm cooking a great meal is different from the beer I want to pair with that same meal. Um, and it seems like you've created both. Yeah, I, that, 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 I like that. Uh, I like that, that, that analogy or that uh, the way of, of framing it. Um, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, and, and we're on the spectrum too, because I mean, you know, on the one hand, you know, we'll make some real just tiny little table beers, like our we make one called Petit Prince that um, we add a lot of hops to, uh, a lot of golding, a lot of saws, and um, the hops have a way of kind of at least while the beer is young kind of keeping the funkiness and the acidity at bay. I remember, you know, Jean Benoit from Brasserie Cantillon said that, you know, Lambic, you know, wins in the end, meaning and what he meant by that, as I took it, was that, you know, kind of if given enough time and the wild microbes will assert their dominance, the beer will be, you know, funky and tart. And um, But in our experience, you know, we can ferment with wild cultures. And when the beer is within its first you know, month or two of age, uh, and if it's gotten a pretty big dose of hops, it's still going to present pretty much, you know, bright and fresh and floral. I mean, there'll absolutely be some interesting yeast character and some usually some mild acidity after just a few weeks. 
Um, but uh, so it's kind of, yeah, again, it's kind of a spectrum, you know, by, uh, again, kind of tweaking some variables, but still leaving many variables up to nature. We can create something that's going to be very kind of soft and accessible and, and, and very, very drinkable. Um, or, you know, a beer that's been spontaneously fermented uh, in a barrel for three years, which I, I, to my palate is still very drinkable, but, you know, it's going to be a little bit more challenging in terms of the overall flavor and aroma complexity and, and you know, the, the acidity and the, the kind of funk, if you will. So, um, yeah, I would say even within our style, it is kind of a spectrum of accessibility. So... Uh... Speaking to anyone listening to this, um, especially if they're not very uh, familiar with uh, farmhouse ales, or especially if they've tasted one kind of Lambic-inspired or uh, kind of a, a particularly funky Saison and have decided it's not for them, what would you, uh, what do you think people need to understand about farmhouse ales and the philosophy or the ethic that goes along with it? So I would say uh, keep being experimental. For instance, you know, I um, um, agrarian ales. Uh, this is a good example, life for, for, for me anyway. Um, agrarian uh, ales out of um, Eugene, Oregon. Um, they have their own hop farm, and you know they're making pale ales and IPAs. And um, you know, when I taste their beer, you know, I get hop flavors and aromas that I don't often perceive every day. Um, and so you know, I would argue that that is just as much of a farmhouse ale as, as, as our beer. Um, you know, brewers that you know, are doing, it may be a pure culture of fermentation, but if you're using, you know, water that's unique and grain that's unique and hops that are unique to your region, then, uh, again, it's, it's a sliding scale. There's, there's no, you know, true, uh, hundred percent, you know, terroir, uh, nor is there, you know, zero percent. So, um, you know, I think, you know, different, different variables push the needle in, in different directions on that scale of excess, uh, of authenticity. And so, um, you know, if, if a beer that, you know, has a lot of microbial terroir that maybe was a little too, uh, you know, funky or, or, or tart, uh, for your taste, um, you know, I would still pursue beers that are very, you know, agrarian and rustic in nature that, you know, maybe hinge on the pivot point of, uh, local produce or local grains or, um, you know, hops that are unique to, um, you know, a certain region. So, um, you know, again, I'm kind of repeating myself, but, you know, I would argue that that pale ale with hops and malt from uh, wherever it may be, whatever, you know, local you know, valley or, 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 or prairie land um, uh, has just as much terroir as, you know, our beers, which tend to be a little bit more microbial driven in terms of their terroir. So, um you know, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying, you know, you can have a farmhouse pale ale, too, I think. Well, and I would agree. My my experience is, uh, and forgive the shameful plugs, but um, I've I've done some uh, stories with uh, Ola Brewing in uh, the Big Island of Hawaii and also uh, Wolves and People in here in Oregon in Newburgh. Um, yeah. And, and they both kind of take a farmhouse ethic. Um, Wolves and People specifically does farmhouse ales and some wonderful saisons and grisettes and everything, but they're also taking that same farmhouse mindset and applying it to some uh, IPAs and some lagers that are just beautiful and full of flavor and just interesting um, 
flavors. It's just kind of like a, a, a good beer plus. And then uh, on the islands, they're, they're not doing uh, farmhouse style beers, but they're working with local farms and getting local ingredients. So they're still kind of uh, applying that same ethic, but from a different direction. And it really is coming out. Uh, the, the mainstream beers that they're making are just coming out exceptional uh, just because they're they're just a little bit different than the norm and different from what you'd expect. And, and it's just an incredible experience. Yes, um, I'm, I'm uh, very familiar with uh, Wolfson People. We've uh, we've collaborated with them uh, before, both at Jester King and in, in Newburgh. And um, yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of their beers, and, and would totally agree. And I mean, you know, we're kind of, as I mentioned a, a moment ago, in some somewhat uncharted territory for us of of restarting doing some pure culture fermentations, and um, you know, uh, we're still uh, still still using well water, and you know grain from Blacklands and, uh, uh, well, hops, like I said, have never been our, our, uh, point of local, local origin. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that it's, you know, again, kind of maybe not as far on the scale of authentic farmhouse, but, but, but not, uh, in the totally other side of the spectrum either. Hmm. Um, I want to take a quick pivot. Uh, I want to make sure we talk about um, some of the environmental practices that you guys are employing as well. So not only are you farmhouse brewery, but um, you've also taken some uh, some significant steps towards sustainability. Can you kind of just kind of enumerate those quickly and share what you've done? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, in no particular order, um, solar. Um, we are um, solar powered. Um, the brewery is, is color, covered with panels, um, and on a hot summer day, we can be 100% off the grid. When it's you know, cloudy, we have to pull a little bit from the grid. So uh, we've re- reduced our reliance on, on fossil fuels uh, with, with solar. Um, water is our big initiative right now, and um, we are partially able to uh, recoup our wastewater from brewing um, to irrigate our crops. Um, we're not 100% of the way there yet. Um, we're hoping to get there this year. We'll see how that plays out right now as we're you know, dealing with the COVID crisis. But, but uh, you know, being water, um, wastewater um, uh, neutral, if you will, being able to land apply all of our wastewater for irrigation uh, is, is, is the other kind of big initiative we're, we're focusing on right now. Um, in terms of water usage, we're pretty good as, as well. Um, you know, our ratio of water to beer, um, it's about two barrels to, of water to one barrel of finished beer, which, um, is remarkably, is a remarkably good ratio for, for the industry. Um, so, you know, water and electricity are kind of our, our strong points right now. Um, you know, as we, Get beyond that. Um, uh, I think um, being able to just lower our carbon footprint is, is kind of the direction we'll kind of try to point ourselves uh, in. And, and I'm sorry, what did you say your water uh, usage ratio was? Oh, about uh, two barrels of water for every barrel of beer, which um, That's I think the industry, yeah, yeah, I think the industry standard is closer to like somewhere in the range of like four to seven barrels. So yeah, we. we Pretty good about uh, managing our water use. Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing that for every gallon of beer, uh, four gallons of water are used to produce it. Um, and I, I believe that was kind of a, a standard uh, in 
you know, in, in a lot of places. But uh, from what, yeah, what you guys are doing is is way way better. Um, yes. Um, oh, just one more thing on water. In terms of our farm, um, and probably why a lot of our efforts are directed towards water is because uh, I see that being um, the biggest threat to just well, the Texas population uh, in the next several decades. Um, we only get about 40 inches of rainwater a year on average. Um, we've experienced major droughts here before, the last one ending just in 2014, so it wasn't even that long ago. Uh, climate change, obviously, having uh, an impact uh, that we uh, can't be exactly sure of how that, that's going to play out, but we certainly should, should and will have an impact. And then... Um, uh, just the population growth as well. Um, we're projected to have the same current population as San Francisco, Oakland by 2050, right here in, you know, Austin. So, um, you know, just water security independence is, 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 and, is uh, and sustainability is something that we're um, trying to focus on, you know, to that end, you know, starting a farm, which, you know, could certainly be a very water intense operation. Um, We've now pulled irrigation on our um, vineyard by doing a system of berms and swells throughout the, um, the vineyard to trap wet rainwater. Uh, our vineyard is also about as dirty as a vineyard would get in that uh, there's all kinds of just native plants and grasses that we've let um, thrive um, so as to capture the rainwater that we do get and not have it just run, run, run away on like a carefully manicured ground. Um, so yeah, that, 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 with our farm, we're, um, we, we're still, we still have irrigation on our, our hops. Um, but, uh, everything else is dry farmed. Gotcha. And so are you, uh, it sounds like, are you trying to use some, uh, biodynamic practices to just to keep everything, uh, happy? Um, not specifically biodynamic. Um, but, um, certainly I would say organic. I mean, we're not using any you know, pesticides or any chemicals. Um, we're not even, other than a mower that we run um, one time a year, we do one single mow a year, and that's like the only mechanization that, that our vineyard sees. Uh, we did all of the um, planting, all of the removal of, like, the boulders that were in the, because, again, we're on a, uh, a plateau. Uh, it's basically a big sheet of limestone. So all that all that uh, was done by, by hand. So, um, yeah, very little mechanization. Gotcha. Um, so I, I know you have a, uh, a, a time frame that we need to stick to. So I'm going to, um, kind of dive into, um, the, the final round of questions. And then the last one, of course, will be any, uh, anything you want to add to it. But, um, uh, if you had the ability, uh, you, once, once we come out of this pandemic crisis, if, uh, if you emerged as the lone king of the beer world, <laughs> what would you change? Oh, good question. I would I would dive right into changing the the. I would take a hatchet to the three tier system and, and change all of the uh, shipping and distribution laws um, to the extent that yeah. I guess if I had a magic wand, uh, I would um, you know allow brewers to uh, ship deliver uh, whatever they prefer. Um, no franchise law. You know, right now uh, in most states or a lot of states, including Texas, once you sign up with the distributor, you're tied to them for life. Um, you know, I don't think that's fair to small independent breweries at all. Um, you know, franchise law came about, uh, when there's only like 40 breweries in the country and now there's, you know, 8,000. So, um, yeah, I would just give much more economic freedoms 
to brewers. Um, you know, Texas became the last state in the country to allow production brewers to sell beer to go. Um, it's still limited to just your own beer. Uh, you know, one case per day, I think, is the limit, which which isn't like a you know super tiny limit, but but still, you know, I would basically have a very very you know free market approach to uh, to, to to beer law. Um, so that would that would be one major change. Um, I would also, um, I guess, if I had you know total control over. Uh, brewing in America, uh, you would see definitely the rise of, not that there already isn't a rise, but, but definitely the rise of small independent farms um, when it comes to the raw ingredients that provide, um, those the farmers that provide the raw ingredients for, for beer. Um, you know, it would just, there would be, I mean, our industry is super consolidated and dominated by just a few large corporations, you know, much like the food industry is as well. So kind of getting back to like a rural agrarian approach to brewing and, you know, probably mean beer might cost a little more, but, but I don't know. I think that's a a fair trade off to, to, to make. Well, my understanding is you have quite a history in law. And so you, you're definitely a good person to uh, talk to about this, but, um, I've, I've heard from numerous, uh, uh, people uh, within a the realm of a local ingredient type of uh, um, uh, landscape, uh, and, and we're, we are seeing quite a bit of return to local terroir, local ingredients. But I think a lot of that has to do with education, and hopefully, podcasts like this one will help get the word out because I mean the beer is better. And you mentioned it might be more expensive, but I mean we're talking on the order of like eight cents, ten cents per pint. I mean that's nothing for a far superior beer yeah no i i i certainly agree and um you know if you kind of look back to prior centuries you know uh of rural agrarian even low alcohol beer was was very very common and you know something that you know the neighborhood produced either on a amateur or professional level um so yeah the closer we can get back to to that i mean i've, I've been uh you know, felt strongly about that for the whole decade you know we've been open is that the closer we can get back to some of those uh roots from you know prior to prohibition um the the better excellent uh so i'll hail the king um uh, (laughs) next question Uh, if you had the opportunity to choose your very last meal and your very last beer before you depart this earth what would they be (laughs) oh boy um yeah, I would uh, probably go uh, probably Bam Beer from Jolly Pumpkin. Uh, it's my favorite Jolly Pumpkin beer and just one that I could drink, you know, liter upon liter of. And, uh, I don't know, I'd probably pair that with, uh, I think that beer would call for something fairly light and refreshing, so maybe like a nice, like, citrus citrus beet salad or something like that. Uh um, part of me uh, would want to be a little bit more ambitious than a salad for, for my last meal, but 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 then I think that would just be a delightful delightful uh, pairing and, and one that would be um, well would would support local agriculture and farmhouse ale. So uh, I think that would be fitting. Perfect. And with all of your experience uh, that you have in the beer industry, um, why does good beer matter? Uh, good beer matters because it's fundamental to our human condition. Um, you know, beer is people, beer is culture. 
Um, beer, and, and this is someone who loves wine and likes spirits, but you know, to me, beer is still vastly superior to, to those, uh, those other beverage, alcoholic beverages because I think they bring people together and promote conversation, cooperation, community, goodwill, like no other beverage can. And, um, you know, at the, you know, we're living in this period right now where there's, you know, people are, are being understandably, you know, forced, uh, apart from one another. And to me, that's, you know, putting public health aside, that's one of the, 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 the tragedies of this, 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 this era is that, uh, people aren't getting to experience community, uh, like I think, again, our, our DNA calls us to do. So, um, you know, again, beer, I think, is just a, a communal beverage that, you know, creates, brings out what is, what is, is, is best in, in, in human beings. And, and by that, I, I think that's people, you know, sitting across from each other, you know, laughing, experiencing family, experiencing friends, these things that are, I think, truly meaningful um, in ways that, you know, are kind of virtual, connected, and screen-based life cannot, uh, cannot do justice to so um, that's why I think, uh, yeah, beer is, is good beer matters. Excellent. Uh, and, and when we are finally able to reemerge from the internment of this COVID-19 mm-hmm. pandemic, um, how, can, how can listeners and, and fans of your beer connect with you, uh, find your beer? Um, how, what's the best way to get a hold of, of you and learn more about what you guys are doing? Yes. Um, as far as uh, finding our beer, um, we Still, uh, even though our focus is, is very much uh, on site, we still do send a little bit of beer to a lot of places. So um, there's a chance, that, at least for you know domestic listeners, that um, you know your favorite local bottle shop, um, you know certainly bottle shops that you know really try to do a good job and, and, and have a you know an excellent selection of great beer. Um, there's a chance that maybe at least like once or twice per year, um, some Jester King might make it that way. Um, we're a little unique in the sense that we don't send beer consistently to any state but Texas. So um, we do, for instance, you know, um, maybe like two shipments a year to, you know, various uh, places across the country. Um, so, you know, your local shop would be one. Um, certainly visiting us would be another. And, um, you know, what's kind of emerging right now um, is interesting. We're, for instance, uh, you know, via our friends at, Fair Isle Brewing in Seattle, um, now shipping direct to residents in Washington State, and we're kind of working on ways to open up uh, other states um, through an intermediary like our friends at, at Fair Isle. So um, there's a chance we, I mean, one of the silver linings of this you know, pandemic might be that, you know, not just us, but other breweries are, um, you know, you're able to find you know their beer on- online where perhaps that wasn't the case uh, prior. Yeah, I, I I hope that is a um, a a thing that sticks. Uh, granted, there are some logistical and legal and all these other issues that go along with that, but I think that is has potential to be a good thing. So hope hopefully there will, there will be a silver lining to this this crazy time. Um, do you have any final words of wisdom? Anything you want to add to all this? Um, I would say just um, you know again during this this this, this time of uh, economic. Uh, crisis and hardship uh to please please uh support your local breweries 
uh, your local restaurants uh, who are doing curbside. I mean, right now, as we speak, dining rooms are, are closed. Um, but, but those offering curbside service support them. Um, farmers markets are still operating in some states, from what I can tell. Um, also, um, I know that some of the uh, restaurant suppliers, you know, some of the, um, you know, companies that, you know, basically are distributing uh, produce from local farms are really struggling and hurting right now. So, you know, if you have, um, you're in an area that has either, you know, rural or urban farms, you know, find out how they're getting their, uh, their produce and, uh, you know, other ingredients uh, to, to, to market right now and, and, and support them because, um, you know, I, I shop at my local grocery store too, but at a time like this, you know, they're, they're going to be fine. Um, at a time like this, it's, it's the small independent suppliers who are really, really hurting. So for everything that you're able to, you know, bring to your glass and plate uh, for this, this period, uh, try to source it from uh, independent and local. I totally agree. Totally agree with that. Uh, the the big entities, the big companies, whatever business they're in, they will be fine. They will move on. It's the small ones that if you ignore them, they might just go away. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely what's what's so scary right now. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming onto the show and uh, sharing Jester King and Farmhouse Ales with us. I, it was absolutely wonderful. Oh, my pleasure, Jeremy, and I uh, appreciate your kind words and support and uh you know when the when the time comes uh you find yourself uh i know you, you said you were here not long ago which i appreciate but uh next next visit through uh drop me uh give me some heads up and um uh we can share a beer absolutely i'd love it all right, all right have a great day talk to you later you too thanks jeremy bye-bye bye-bye just a short drive outside of austin you can bathe in the warm texas sun on a farm that grows world-class farmhouse beers through conservation, sustainability, and stewardship of the land, Jester King is one of the few places that blend the old world with the new. Join us in the next episode where we visit a former Good Beer Matters guest to clarify some of the more confusing beer styles. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.